Moneyball Manager Podcast, where we talk about the state of sales, sales management, and specifically sales coaching. We are joined today by our host, founder of Copilot and Scale Up On Demand, Doug Johnson, and Alexis Sierra Holt, who is the Director of Sales and Partnerships at RGI Data Assets. Uh, Alexis has a diverse background as an award-winning insurance sales executive with additional experience in tech sales and sales training and certainly an impressive background. And we'll, we'll give you a chance to talk a bit more about it today. Um, but I know that Doug and Alexis know each other well, so it should be a lively conversation. So without further ado, we'll get started. Doug, over to you. Thanks, Tim. And Alexis, nice to see you again. Uh, it's, I guess, you had a, a baby recently, a couple of months ago, handful of months ago, and you're back on back at work. Yes, back at work. Can't believe it. <laughs> Mother well, you of know boy, mom of two now. <laughs> what I can't believe is that I knew you were having a baby around the time that I reached out to you. When I reached out to you, it was a response. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't a long wait. I think you responded within a couple of days, and then had informed me that you had had a child, and I thought. Well, I feel lucky that I got a response and you're already on email and, but how has it been getting back into things and, and juggling everything? Oh my gosh. Um, it has been a, a, a process. I, it wasn't as seamless as I planned it <laughs> to be, <laughs> but it was a lie at first. At first, because, you know, I'm so used to always having my hands in everything always being a part of conversations, especially like with clients and everything. So it felt very, very weird to have to be hands off for six weeks at a time, just to be a hundred percent mom. I applaud all the mamas out there who can be the work, uh, the, uh, the work from home moms, or even my uh, stay at home moms. That is about three jobs in one, just being at home and just being nothing but mommy. So imagine doing that and trying to uh, do sales and run a sales organization at the same time. And then not to mention all the stuff that I do on the nonprofit side, sitting on boards, you know, managing partnerships for all these organizations while also, um, you know, managing a newborn and an 11 year old. (laughs) So it has been tough, but I will tell you, I'm glad that I waited this long to do it. I had to I had to get with the company that I felt secure um, with as far as, you know, a lot of women in, in the sales world, they have a tough time wanting to have more children and go on maternity leave because a lot of times we have a we have a hard problem with being hands off, number one, and also also really, really um, not being able to be a part of all client client management conversations while we're out as well. Because when you're on that six weeks, you really, truly have to be turned off. Um, so I applaud the ladies that can do it. I figured out how to do it now. <laughs> so I guess now I consider myself a jack of all trades now because I'm one of those moms where I can say you, you can have it all. You just won't get any sleep at night. <laughs> Well, here's here's my uh, I, I have grown to love my sleep, and I recognize that um, it's sort of I, 
it's it's a it's something that you aren't allowed to do as much, right? The body figures out <laughs> how to parent. And I know you from before having this new child and how much stuff you were doing. And I looked at you thinking, man, I think I'm uh, stretching myself thin or busy or something like that, doing a lot. But I looked at you and I'm like, man, Alexis is doing a lot. And, and it's, um, and then when I hear you uh, talk about the, um, something that only, there's no way that I can understand this as a woman is sales. And then this, and want to mentioning that you're, what I should say as a woman in sales, and you even mentioned needing a company that you felt would allow you to do that. It's, uh, I don't know. I, I would like to dig in a little bit. It's, it's, it's certainly unfortunate that that is the case. Yeah. Could you, do you want to talk ab- about yeah. like some of the companies that you were at or consulted with or supported in the past? And you don't have to name the actual companies if you don't want, but uh, the, the attributes or characteristics of the current company as it relates to pr- other ones and how you feel more comfortable as a, as a, as a mom, as a woman? Of course, but I need to pause for two seconds. I hear the baby crying. Let me go grab the baby, and then I'm going to answer that question. Okay. (laughs) Okay, I'm back, guys. Plus one. (laughs) Welcome back. Plus one. (laughs) This is Giovanni Morocco. (laughs) Giovanni, how are you? He's like, I was very angry that my mom let me TP on myself and didn't come and change me when I wanted it. <laughs> uh, well, awesome. Great. We're back with plus one. We got Giovanni as well. This is great. <laughs> yeah. So let's just definitely dig into that question you had. This is one of the things that I really, really embraced when I got back to work was Number one, it was it was refreshing to make an announcement to your uh, your VP and say, hey, I am now going to be expecting a child. And you're actually, you know, normally most women are afraid to even tell their bosses that, hey, I'm pregnant. I'm going to be having a baby. That means I'm going to be taking time off. It means that my pipeline might be affected uh, because I need to take six to eight weeks off. Some, some companies even 12 weeks off. Um, it was really refreshing for me to get a different type of response. Um, when I did have to kind of tell this to my boss, I just remember, I remember, you know, my boss being like extremely excited. And I was like, I was in shock that he was excited because I said, man, I was expecting a totally different response because I've seen other women do this in other organizations that I was in. And I said, you can't even be excited for that, that female salesperson because she now has to tell her boss that she has to take all this time off. And I just, I just remember some of the responses these women were getting, you know, they were like, well, Hey, you should have told me that you wanted to have a child. Um, you know, this really, really interrupts my, my plan that I had my, all my sales goals for the year. You need to make sure that when you're out that you have someone to cover your account, you know, really putting it heavily on the female sales rep that she needs to find a way to cover herself. When if you are a manager, a director or a VP, 
it's your role to really step in and figure out, okay, how can I make this easier on this person? Because it's already going to be stressful, the fact that they're like, okay, man, now I have to take this time off. I have to find someone to cover me. And I also have to worry about my deals that are still in the pipeline that may close when I'm out. Those are the things that I even still found myself doing. I was like, I have to close every single deal that's in my pipeline before I go into labor. I literally, not by, not because, not because my company, I think it was mainly because my company was so open and excited about me having a baby. I didn't mind being in the, being in the ER, (laughs) having contractions and forwarding emails to my VP say, Hey, I'm not going to be able to get back to this client, but can you take care of this? Had it been a different type of situation, I probably would have lost it on my boss if they would have asked me to send an email while I'm having contractions. Because listen, let me tell you, I'll never forget my first time working for a, um, I, for a female was, to, it was night and day to working with a male. Um, I actually have had more open and honest conversations about work life balance and needing to be home with my, uh, my other kid, you know, who's 11, who was definitely into sports and things like that. Um, I feel like I feel like men have just been more welcoming of work life balance than actual female leaders, which is the surprising part. You would think it would be the other way around. But um, I'll never forget. I had a female um, sales leader who literally told me when we were in the middle of a snowstorm. She's like, hey, I know that you're working on this proposal, but I'm going to and I know that you don't have any power in your house right now because if there's a snowstorm, but you really should have got up and went to the McDonald's that was three miles from your house and taking your kid with you to go use their free Wi-Fi to get my proposal done before Monday morning. Like these are the things that women are hearing from other women sales leaders. It's not the men, it's the women that we're doing it to each other. And it makes it so hard for these women to want to take off and have babies, which is why, I mean, like literally quarantine is the new baby boomers. People were like, I don't have to be in my boss's face all day. This is the perfect time to have another child. (laughs) (laughs) Alexis, just to jump in there real quick. That is because do you feel as if maybe a, a woman manager feels like women have to do more? And they have to go above and beyond, um, yes. you know, that sort of, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I completely agree with you. That's exactly what it is. We feel like we already have to work five times as hard. So other women will look, will look at another female who's actually, um, you know, pregnant in, in the sales world. And it's like, Hey, you're actually, you're going to have to work 10 times harder now that you are pregnant and, and expecting a child and expecting to have all this time off. Um, and then, you know, because they're looking at it as in when one woman fails, she sets the tone for everybody that comes behind her. And that is something that we just really have to do better at as women leaders. I made sure that anyone on my team, if they came to me and they were expecting or adopting, um, that I made sure that they felt comfortable enough to have that conversation with me, number one, and to know that they don't have to worry about their job being gone. (laughs) Because most women don't feel like their jobs are safe. And then you, then you have the sales part of it. They don't feel comfortable taking time off because it's going to interrupt their sales pipeline and hitting their goals. And they feel that they're going to be punished for that 
um, you know, when it comes around time for a performance review. I got to um, imagine, I got to imagine real quick there that there's that the feeling that you, there must be more motivation uh, for you, uh, in the latter experience with, you know, this boss that was so excited for you. And so happy for you personally to, you know, to frankly, you know, in contrast that with some of the companies that you may have felt like I, I, I can't do this. And so it's like, you're not necessarily motivated at that point. You're, you're only motivated by fear so much, right. Versus the, um, potential of, of having a company that's, Hey, they're behind me. And, and I want to, I want to, I want to kill it for them, right? They're, they're behind me here. I want to show them that I can do it. And, and then I want to like, let go and, and, and kind of take some, take a break and take my time off. And that I would imagine that would be more motivating, but maybe that's just me. It definitely is way more motivating. That's why I was willing to do it because I was like, you know, they're going to stand beside me. They've shown they're going to stand beside me. Even if it was simple things as showing up to my virtual baby shower, because you know, I can't see people in person, sending a, a gift and sending flowers after I deliver the baby, certain things like that. It made me want to respond to emails when I was out on my vacation, um, which is really not a vacation when you're having a baby, <laughs> when you have a newborn, because you're going to be up all night. There's literally no rest in relaxation, <laughs> but it made me feel comfortable with, Hey, like, you know, if you need me to come back um, early, you need me to do part-time for a little bit because you just really can't handle kind of taking over all of my clients. Then, you know, when you have a good company and a good boss that's behind you, that really encourages you to really want to go the extra mile, you know, even when you, you may not even have all the energy to do it, <laughs> but it makes a huge difference in how, how hard you will go for a company that you're working with for sure. I, I was reflecting on the challenge that it, with in another podcast episode, I was talking with someone about how initially for me, when I first started managing, I didn't know it didn't come natural for me to create that underlying relationship uh, such that we were all on the same sort of team and we would go beyond. I didn't, I just didn't feel, feel natural when you've observed I feel like I've gotten at least better. I've always been happy when people are, when they tell me that they're taking a new position at another company because it's allowing them to stretch, right. Or they, they're having uh, an addition to their family. It's always really exciting and, and I can uh, be supportive of them easily, but there's other aspects that for me personally, it was a little harder to naturally develop the relationship. When you look back at your career and you're saying that there's some companies where it's, um, where it's that, that relationship is a little stronger. Are there characteristics of the organization or, or maybe it's just specific people that you've worked with or supported where you want to talk about how they were able to so easily generate that and develop that relationship where it made it easier for everyone? Yeah. You maybe know, I all, no, you're right. You're good. I actually, I know exactly where you're going with this. So I will say this. So I just, my background, so I've been in insurance now in the insurance industry for 11 years, but um, I consider myself and the industry considers me an insurance unicorn because I don't have a typical insurance industry career path. 
I have been a part of InsureTech. I've been an agent, had a, had a captive agency, went independent, started an independent agency. And one of the things that really, really encouraged me to stay in this industry, because women typically leave this industry within the first three years. And one of the main reasons why they leave the industry is because they don't, they either are not making money, didn't get great training, or they, they don't have the flexibility that they thought that they were going to have to be a part of their children's lives. Um, you know, in, in the manner that the, in, in the manner that the industry promotes it, I'll say. But one of the things that really stood out to me was from day one, it appeared that I always worked for the right people in this industry. <laughs> like I, from my first, first manager, when I was doing, when I was an agent trainee um, with a huge, huge carrier and I was getting ready, I was really trying to developing my, my skills and trying to figure out exactly who I wanted to be in this industry and what I wanted to do, what my niche would be, how I was going to grow and really impact the industry. It was having that, that manager, I'll never forget, he, he didn't know anything about the insurance industry. A lot of people come in this industry and they, they're career transitioners. Um, I came from retail. So, and I transitioned into this career because I figured out I was great at relationship building just based on how big my clientele was working for the wireless company I was working with. And one of the things that stood out to me was the manager, Landarty. I, I always, always accredit him to why, why I am the type of leader that I am because he showed me what, what a servant leader was before servant leadership was a thing. He made it all about making sure that he was supporting his team members. And especially, you know, me interning for him was a big deal. He, even though I was looking for an unpaid internship, he was like, no, you're a single mom. There's no way I'm going to let you work for me for free. But I was just willing to really just get my, get my feet wet and really just learn the industry from him just by sitting side by side with him and get, being able to get that coaching that I needed to be successful. And he was just such a great leader. He was all about, you know, making sure that we had the flexibility. Like, I'll never forget one day there was a storm. They were expecting a storm to come the next day. And you know how you know how a lot of times the schools were, they'll cancel school and then it's bright and sunny outside the next day. <laughs> but it also means that the daycares aren't open. So I remember the other ladies in the office with me, we were like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do with our kids? Like now it's not going to rain tomorrow. You know, it's not going to be this big hurricane or tornado that they said it's going to be like, we still have to come to work. What are we going to do? And I'll never forget Lynn coming out the office saying, Ladies, don't worry about that. I will make sure that I bring video games up here and everything, and we'll set up the kitchen area, and we'll set us up a little daycare in there. And I was like, what? What do you mean? Like, I've never experienced anything like that. I said, see, that's the type of leader I want to be. And then I remember in our Monday morning meetings, instead of just going over numbers, 
he would actually sit there and truly, truly ask us like, hey, how was your weekend? Like, what did you guys actually do? Like, hey, how was church on Sunday? Well, my pastor preached about such and such, such and such. And what, what did you guys, even if they were, even if they had different religions, we went, he went through everybody's entire weekend, <laughs> you know, and their experiences every Monday morning. He just truly believed in in understanding the, and, and really working with the, the people that he worked with. He really wanted to understand who they were and why they were doing what they're doing and exactly how they can help them, how he can help them get to their next level. And I remember going to him when I was just about to open an agency with this company. And he said, Alexis, if he said, if I were, he said, if, if I could have done this all over again, he said, I probably would have done it with a different company. And he introduced me to that company and he said, Hey, I think you should just go be an agent with this company. And I said, okay, why do you think that? I'm like, I'm like, I've never heard of them before. Like, why would I go and do that? I'm like, you know, this is a huge household brand name. I mean, they got khaki pants, they have khaki pant commercials. So, <laughs> so, so I was like, you know, I need the brand recognition. And he's like, no, you don't. You just proved to me that, you know, by never selling, selling life insurance a day in your life, you just did 30 policies all by yourself, just in this agency. He said, imagine what you could have done if this was your agency building up your own book of business. He said, the people trust you here. And he's like, it's all about relationship building. He was like, he said, I did just didn't expect it was going to be this hard to do it. And you've outshined the agent who was training you. And I said, okay, well, you know, he said, I, I just feel like this other company, they have a better training program and it would just be better suited for you. And I went with that company, um, Country Financial is who it was. And I ended up becoming the face of the company in the Atlanta market. I really did kill it. Like it was so funny because I remember when um, Tim Richardson hired me because it was a recommendation from someone in Alabama and they were like, Hey, you know, this, this young lady, she wants to relocate to Atlanta. Um, you know, she really, really wants to be here and she doesn't want to have an agency in Alabama where her natural market is. And I just remember that, that being such a big deal because everybody was like, well, people who live here in the Atlanta market, they've been here their whole lives, you know? So hold on a second. <laughs> Well, as when you come, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you come, when you come back, I'll, I'm interested to understand. When you were in the Atlanta market, you were developing an agent. You're building the agency for your. For, you're building the market, right? So you were not only developing client side relationships, but you were also having the the mindset of what will the other agents at the agency in the area look like? I assume, right? So you to the perspective of, all right, now I'm not just building my book of business. I'm building an area, right. Which is dependent on other people to create more and more leverage. So what I'm curious when you do able to come back and answer is what you observe from, I think it was land, uh, what you observed previously, how did that influence the relationship or how you managed other agents that you were working with? both from that soft skill, if you will, personal relationship, touching in on what they worked on, what the pastor talked about, to also the activity 
uh, metrics, which in insurance, it's cutthroat, right? You, you, we've talked about it, right? It, it's, it's cutthroat might be not the best word, right? But it's, it's, they, they have measures and marks that they have to get to. So how did you balance this near term? Gotta get support, gotta have everyone producing to, which is sort of driven top down or in the, in the industry with this attribute characteristic that you so appreciated. You, you, you watched his service. Uh, servant leadership of style, you think, man, that's that's imperative for this. How did you blend that in in your in your world? Sorry about that. See, oh, see yeah. look, this literally happens in my Monday meetings. Like my baby is in all my meetings on on video uh, camera on Teams. They're like, oh, Giovanni's here. <laughs> Giovanni is is he's the future of work. He's gonna be he's gonna be <laughs> the first in it. <laughs> he is hilarious. Think- I'm like. I think um, Tim, 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 do you want to um, yeah. sort of ask a, a new a, a yeah. question just on the restart? Yeah, yeah, sure, absolutely. So I, I think one of the things, yeah, we we'd love to just kind of dive into just a little bit more is, is kind of you know that that sort of the blending of some of the uh, you know the 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 attributes, the activity metrics with those soft skills that um, you know that you. Like, you know, really kind of gleaned certainly from uh, one of your first managers. How do you kind of blend those things together, right? Because we know they're both equally important, um, mm-hmm. or, or maybe not equal, and maybe you feel differently. But um, you know, what's your approach, I guess, to, to to blending those things and making sure we have the right kind of balance between activities and soft skills? Yeah. So you know, I when I determined what type of leader I wanted to be, I had to determine it pretty early on, even before becoming a leader. And that was really, really going to me, me choosing that, okay, I know that I'm going to be a servant leader, but what do I mean when I say that? Um, one of the biggest things is um, doing more listening um, as a part of my coaching, trying to kind of see exactly, okay, what are some things that you are great at? And then identifying those things that you know, my sales, the sales team member may not be that great at and trying to see exactly, okay, how can I build them a a tailored coaching, um, you know, situation around that? Because I always believed in, you know, not managing all of my team members in the same way. Everybody has a different selling style. They also have a different management style that just may work for them. Um, I knew that I had some people who were going to be very hand that I needed to be very hands on with. Um, just based on certain questions that I asked um, during the interview, having that initial conversation when they start, like, okay, I really want to know what are your true career goals? Where do you see yourself? Um, you know, especially when I'm taking over a team that was already pre-existing before I got there, kind of just sitting down saying, hey, are, do, are, do you feel like you're outgrowing this space that you're in? You know, and being able to, I think really, you know, being able to listen and hear people out that really helped me to determine exactly how I need to manage them, you know, so I can make sure that I'm not being what we all hate in a sales world, a micromanager, (laughs) you know, we, that, that is the best way to get a productive salesperson to do nothing for you, (laughs) you know, and to really not give you their best selves is really micromanaging them. And you end up, really, really kind of, you know, messing with their flow. You, a lot of, a lot of leaders, I, I, I figured out that their approach is 
if you if you already know how to do this, then I'm going to really kind of just let you do you and then I'll coach you along the way. You know, and that was one of the skills that I I developed early on. I was like, okay, I'm going to listen more. And that's how I'm going to build my coaching around that. I'm also going to, you know, make sure that my relationship manager, um, you know, the skills that I have that just come naturally to me, I never meet a stranger. Hence why Doug and I are friends. (laughs) You know, I never meet a stranger. I always figure out you know, even during a lot of my first time meeting someone, you know, Hey, how is it that I can help you? I'm not always trying to figure out what I can, how I can close a deal. You know, I'm always trying to figure out exactly, you know, what can I do to help you grow your business? And then in turn, you're going to naturally want to say, Hey, well, Alexis, what can I do for you? You know, that kind of, I think those are some of the skills that, you know, I've been able to use and they help me to be a better leader. Um, you know, definitely just understanding that everyone has to be managed differently. You can't manage all these people the same. Um, Alexis, and I think you, that was something that, that land did a lot of. Alexis, when you, uh, I have a, I have a follow on to that. You, you were mentioning, uh, listening and I mm-hmm. certainly, uh, if I picture a an environment of inside sales where you physically could listen, uh, that allows you to sit, like literally be able to listen to them. Then there's also like the figurative where I'm looking at the data, right? I'm looking and then I'm asking questions to not lean too heavily on the data, the metrics that are saying that the, the data itself. So when you think about, maybe I'm, ex- I'm pushing the word listen in a direction, but when you're looking at, data, listening, literally listening to them in the sales process or asking questions in one-on-ones and coaching opportunities. I'm assuming like in your, your initial joining of the team, you're, you're interviewing and you're assessing them to figure out how, like where do they at in their career? Like you're figuring out how you need to, what, what they're going to allow you to do, right? Cause if they're not where they're at, if they're not where they want to be, and they're where they're at and you can communicate the gap and you can communicate that you can help them get to that next point, then they're going to be open. Right. Whereas if someone's already there, it's a little harder because they might have. So I understand that. But when you're looking at your plan and strategy for helping that individual, the blend of data and listening to them, how does, how does data play a role in the, in the various insurance products that you've sold or have had teams that have sold or consulted? Yeah. So of course data is going to always be very helpful because, you know, I can kind of look at a pipeline and be able to see exactly what they've been targeting, you know, for say the past year or two years and then figure out where those opportunities are. Uh, One of the biggest things is, I have an idea of what the company will want their um, ideal client to be. But then when you're dealing with the salesperson, you want to know what their ideal client uh, target would be because they have a different um, goal at the end of the day. They're trying to most, most of the time they're trying to hit a goal and make money and, you know, and they want, and they have a particular type of client that they know that they work well with. Um, so really kind of using that, uh, using that data to determine, okay, these are areas where I could coach them on. They just may be better at B2C sales, or they may be better 
on the B2B side, you know, they, they just may be a better salesperson when it comes to, say, for instance, um, actually cold calling. A lot of salespeople are just, you know, a lot of them hate cold calling, but there are some people who just are really, really good at it. You know, they know how to get a stranger on the phone and talk to them and all that stuff. Um, then you have other people who are just way better at emails. So what I was able to do was kind of build um, a training around, you know, a little bit of both, something that, uh, you know, encompasses cold calling as well as emailing. And I like to use what they call the Huffman S email approach. So um, are you familiar with S email? I am, but I don't know if I'm certain not everyone on that's listening to this okay. uh, recording. <laughs> yeah. So, so let me tell you about the F email. When it comes to inside sales team, the F email really changes the game on how you can actually get an actual response, first a response, and then actually get some real engagement going to where you're actually building a relationship and you're doing it via email and phone. Um, you know, as a follow-up. So the F email is basically an email that is the, it's in the design of an F that you can see on a small uh, cell phone screen, basically. And it should be in the shape of an F, which means it should be very straight to the point. Um, and one of the biggest things that really works is what subject lines you use, making it personal, and it also forces you to do research before reaching out to a target. So that way, you are um, a lot of times finding different articles that you might have heard about that individual within that company, and you're using that as a way to reach out to them instead of making you're making it way less about your product or solution that you need to offer, and way more about that actual individual that you want to reach out to your target person, and then you're tying it in and saying, hey. I just noticed that you had an article. There was an article about you in um, on LinkedIn News, and they actually stated that you guys were expanding and that you were recently promoted. I just wanted to tell you congratulations. And if you need my assistance with this particular solution, because I know it can help you to really shine during your first 90 days, please feel free to reach out to me. And then it's just closing it and you're doing a call to action, whether, whether it's, hey, are you available for a call? And you're giving an actual date and an actual time for them to choose from. It has that quick, quick call to action. And then the subject line is just very engaging. Um, and it's, you know, very straight to the point. But it's all about the person and not about the product and solution that you're selling. And then following that S email up with an actual phone call. But when you call that person or decide to email them again, you never remind them of your failures. And those are the worst emails that I get all the time as a director. People reach out to me all the time trying to sell me products and solutions. And they're like, hey, Alexis, so apparently you missed my other five emails that I sent you. <laughs> there you go, reminding me of your failures. <laughs> Because for all you know, this is probably the first email that actually made it through my spam filter. And this could be my first encounter with you as an actual, um, you know, from, from a sales pitch respect, this could be the first time I've ever actually read an email from you. 
And then you, but you've already reminded me that you reached out to me multiple times. So now I'm less likely, I'm less likely to read it. The other thing that I really like about the F email is the, the certain time of day that you should always be emailing C-suite executives. You email them 10 minutes before their 10 minutes before the hour and 10 minutes after the hour. So that way they are in between, they have, a, they normally have at least five to 10 minutes in between their meetings. So they're most likely going to do what? Pick up their cell phone and check emails pretty quickly. So if you just send it within the last 10 minutes of the hour, then I'm most likely going to see your email first. It's going to sit at the top. That's based on the algorithm. We already know that. So, you know, you're more likely for um, the actual prospect that you're reaching out to actually be able to read your email. I think that those things are so huge. You know, being able to find a way to use the F email and then actually attach that to a call at the end as well. And you're able to, a lot of times, close some deals that way. Um, another thing that I really, really like to do with my sales team is we do a lot of targeted, I, I, I call them the old school UPS campaigns. When you're trying, when you have that C-suite that you just cannot get to answer your phone calls and you, you know, you've probably done a drop in here or two and they just will never come out. <laughs> the best thing you can do is send them a package, but it needs to actually be say UPS or FedEx because that way the gatekeeper can't open it. They have to always deliver it to the C-suite and allow them to open up packages from like UPS or FedEx. For regular mail, that gatekeeper is always going to open those those mails. Any any type of mail that comes in, they're going to read that. But when it comes to those big packages, so what we would do is, my favorite thing was, it shows that you've reached out and you've actually done research on that person. Is we did we did the whole keychain campaign. And with the keychain campaign, we actually targeted them based on what their LinkedIn said there or their website, the company website said where it said they went to college at. People love their schools. <laughs> so, you know, sending little gifts. We did the keychain. It's very inexpensive. You can literally go on Amazon and try to find one for Cornell, for University of Alabama, for uh, Texas A&M, you name it, you can find it on Amazon. And we would actually send out those keychains with a little note that says, hey, um, your data is the key to your success. <laughs> Things like that. Call me to discuss how I can help you. You know, and then we even did something with uh, like these company branded mints that I came up with as well when I was in the benefit space. And I sent out the little mint. It was in the UPS package. It was a company branded mint with a little note that says, call me to learn how to refresh your benefits. And this is to the head of HR. They always call because they think it's so cute and so well thought out that you even did the research and try to do something a little more innovative and think outside the box. All of that stuff goes a long way when you're coaching a team. You know, having those different approaches that you can bring to the table on helping them hit their goals, that's the thing that's most important. Always trying to figure out how you can help them exceed their um, their own goals and you know helping them get more money in their pocket is always a win as well <laughs> always yeah, always no question yeah go ahead Tim. 
Yeah, no, I was going to say, so certainly, you know, that the personal touch is, is so important. And, uh, and yeah, Doug and I, you know, huge, huge Jeff Hoffman acolytes. So the F style email, uh, is when we de- deployed and employed a lot and it's, and it's really, really effective. Um, you know, one thing, and so those are, those are great tips and really actionable tips, uh, I think, and important for the listener to be able to, uh, to, to take away from one thing I did, I did want to ask you a little bit, uh, even just quickly is, is there a, is there like a, a, a tool or is there a dashboard that you typically, uh, you know, tend to lean on or when you're new to an organization, you're going to take over a team, uh, which you, you alluded to before. Are there certain things that you look at, you know, early on, uh, you know, metrics wise that, uh, that you've, that you, you kind of, uh, look to early on in, uh, in managing a team as a predictor of, 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 of what, uh, of how you might manage them or, or where they're excelling or where they might be falling short. Yeah. So one of the things I do is of course, review the year over year numbers. Okay. Um, I love to kind of take a look at that to kind of see all the way from all the way from their the, the, the year that they started. I want to see how they did during the ramp up period, because that's going to tell me exactly how aggressive they may be or may not be. <laughs> so then I know exactly how I need to coach that person because they just might not may not be an, an aggressive salesperson. Um, and the other thing that I'm looking for when I'm looking in those year over year numbers is not just not just the who was in the top 10 salespeople, none of that stuff. I'm looking for the quality of business that they close. Like, is that business still on the books? You know, um, or are you just a quick closer where you throw everything to the ceiling and see what sticks? Because that person can also be number one. It's just, is the business still on the book? How, how good are they with client retention? You know, that shows me what true success is. And a lot of times I'm also looking at the size of the business that they may have closed year over year as well. Because a lot of times if you have that one salesperson who may not be the, the typical person where, Hey, I'm out there. I just closed 25 clients this year. They may have only closed five, but those five, could pretty much provide the revenue of 25. I'm looking at this as well because I don't believe in just looking at the data for what it is. I believe in digging deeper into that data um, and really trying to identify, okay, well, I know that you're good at going after larger deals. So maybe let's look at maybe even transitioning you over to another team that handles long-term projects, you know, that customer success manager who may be the person who handles retention. You may need to work with less clients at a time because you just may be better suited for that. That also means that you're willing to hold out for the longer sales cycle for the, the one who likes to throw things at the cylinder and see what, see what sticks to help that actually stick to the book later on down the sales cycle line. So uh, that, that's some of the things that I'm looking for and I'm identifying that stuff really early on so that I can appropriately and effectively manage that person and actually, you know, point them in the right direction, you know, into, into what they, they would see as a, as a successful um, sales year. I, I have a follow on to that. So if you, 
and I know you do this, you'll, you'll, you'll go into an organization where you're not simply by, by scale. You don't have the ability to spend time. You have the time availability to spend with every individual. There's a, there are other, I mean, you're coaching the leadership in some situations, you're coaching the executives in some situations. So in a situation where let's say you go in and, and perhaps have gone through uh, sort of second level data review where you're looking at positioning individuals to different business units because their propensity, their approach, whoever they are is just better. And in another area of the business, say everything is sort of moved around now to help the organization as much as you can, you're really working with leaders and managers, like the frontline managers, the people who are training. How do you, how have you gone about training the coaches, those frontline managers to do what you know, because now they have to listen like you can listen. They have to know what data points to look at, because if we've moved Susie Joe or Jack or whatever Dimitri into the right role. And now we've looked at their ramping period and we know the type of person they are and they say their goals are to get to a certain point and they've got a gap. Now you're coaching the manager in stages, right? The stages of selling a policy or a plan. So how do you help that coach or manager identify what to work on or how to help them on those specifics? Yeah. So the first thing I like to do is I am a firm believer of a good assessment. And I always believe that the leader should also take that same assessment that they have their sales reps take as well. Um, and I, I love, 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 love the disc assessment. And I love the disc assessment because it truly, truly breaks down um, exactly what, exactly how you should be managed and things that you consider um, as a good, a, a good thing, a positive or a negative, you know? And I think that definitely helps to at least start by having additional data that just not, not only, it, it doesn't really speak to the job or the role in itself, but it speaks to the person and the style of management that they actually need to be effective so that they can actually approach them in the appropriate way. Um, right. So because, before you get into anything, you're, you're just wanting to know as much as possible about each individual. That's what I'm hearing from you. Like you got to know as yeah. much as possible about this person, this human being. Okay. Got mm -hmm. it. Yeah, definitely. Because if you don't know who they are as an individual, you will. And I've, I've seen this done so many times and they do it prematurely. You will take the notes of the last manager who managed them and you will, you will use that to actually manage that person. When in fact, that could be the number one reason why they wanted to get away from that manager because they did not like that management style and that approach that they've taken. I've literally seen, I've seen instances where a manager will not even realize that they are micromanaging their number one superstar on their team because they listen to something that the previous manager said. And the previous manager may have said something like, oh, well, you don't really need to manage her, but don't worry about helping her out. She doesn't need any, she doesn't need any assistance because once she gets her master's degree, she's going to move on anywhere. Anyway, we're expecting her to move on. But have you actually talked to that individual to know what their goal is and why they're even, for instance, getting their master's? 
it could be because they want to be in a role that you that you are in and they want to make sure that they're more qualified for that role. And things like that, little bitty things like that, just taking notes from other managers sometimes can be a negative thing because I feel like you have to get your own perception of who that person is and how to appropriately manage them. You know, that, that goes a long way. Yeah, that makes complete sense to, 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 it makes sense that even an organization of a certain size might not, leadership might not value that much because they're moving in a, they're just moving. They're in the system. They're in the machine. Things are working. They're hitting numbers. They're close to hitting numbers. They're not hitting numbers. And as, a, as an experienced person in insurance and the industry and knowing all sides of it, you could say, well, here's, here are some steps that I'm going to go through. You're going to go and look at the ramping performance, the the makeup of what they're signing, moving some people around. That's one yeah. way to get them in the right area. Then you're moving at um, the the individual themselves and educating the managers. Like they, there's an underlying base foundational element to coaching, and it comes from yeah. learning yourself, assessing yourself, not assuming that the previous manager or whatever information you're given, you have to look at it with your own eyes. Once you have mm-hmm. that and you've got this manager with a better understanding of the individual they're coaching, at what point, do you, or what are the next things you look at? Are there other things you look at before you get into their actual sort of nuances to performance in each stage? That's pretty much, that's, that's pretty much it. That's all I'm looking for. I feel like that's a good starting point. So then it will be a more tailored approach, you know, and I'm not trying to do a one size fits all you know, coaching when it comes to, especially when you're coaching other leaders on how to properly and effectively manage people and do it successfully. Um, You know, kind of taking care of those nuances first, it really helps to identify a lot of times it'll identify if that person is a good manager or not, or if they're even going to be a good fit for their team. (laughs) Right. You know, and then, and then kind of going from there, and looking at it and saying, okay, now that we know that this person is going to be a good fit for, for my team, what is the next step? So the next thing we need to do is really assess what these, say, say these new goals will be now that they're transitioning to your team, what their new goals will look like, and exactly what they need to do because their sales process may have just changed. Um, you know, they may be very, very used to being a product salesperson, and now they need to transition to being a solution or cons- a consultative salesperson. Those are those are different selling styles. Product selling and consultative selling totally different. So we may need to even uh, help them. You know, pretty much put together a training that is going to help tell them the difference in the two and how to transition into something like that as well. Because I see that happen a lot, especially in the insurance industry, because people are all about let's push this product, but we also, we have to focus on, okay, what is, what is best for the client, you know, and the person who's automatically going to know that is number one, a good salesperson, but also a good leader will be able to help them identify that as well. You know, and just kind of tailoring that training around that. So when you when you um, it sounds like you're you're basically explaining your playbook when you're when you're going to well at the highest level when you go in it. Uh, what we all we talked about before you get the people in the right position. You're doing a disc uh, assessment to understand the person. 
now you're recognizing that the team and understanding the individual. And now we need to explain to each individual, this is a product or consultative sale approach. So you're, you're explaining to a salesperson, perhaps in a new, better or different way, or for the first time, what the stages or steps will be, what the likely relationship is, what you're mm-hmm. focusing on throughout. And this is, it sounds like at this point, we're not really digging into a nuance of conversion rate in between each stage, right? I mean, these are just foundational things at this Correct. point. Got it. Correct. It's all about building the foundation and then allowing that person to tweak it to, to, to where it can actually just work for them and they can put their own spin on it. If you, yeah. if you can give a good salesperson or a potentially good salesperson a great foundation, they can excel pretty quickly in a new role. In insurance, when you're, and I'm thinking of, uh, you're, and you could probably think of new managers in the insurance and financial, you know, in the, that realm. Um, do, how far does it get the individual agent in that manager together, that unit? How far does it get them in, in establishing or getting them in the right role? understanding the person and their learning style, understanding their goals, where they're at today, personal goals, um, educating them about each of the stages and what skills you're demonstrating and what you need to focus on. At that point, you have perhaps more additional data coming in and a one-on-one at some frequency with the individual and a solid relationship between them. Is that does that what you're framing out right now, does that provide enough of the ingredients where you're going to have people stay and be dedicated and working together? Like you had described Is that sort of in your perspective in an insurance world. And I know it's a generalization that that gets them 95% of the way there. And then the, the rest is just the nuances of looking at specific data points. Yeah, it, it truly does. It truly does. And then the other part is, figuring out what's their, um, you know, what's their approach to prospecting, you know, and figuring out how well it fits with the model that you may have is, you know, within the insurance industry, like old school is, you know, I I have to have my own natural market. I have to at least know a a network 100. Everybody used to have to uh, provide a list of a hundred names and phone numbers and email addresses of people that you know within your natural market that you can reach out to. And if someone couldn't provide that, they wouldn't even let them interview for the job. (laughs) So, you know, things like that, you end up missing out on a lot of good people doing that, which is why the new approach is don't worry about it. We'll provide lead generation for you. We will provide the leads for you, or you can purchase the leads. But now once you get in here, I'm going to teach you, okay, this is the consultative approach that you have to take to turn in this person and this relationship into a long-term client, you know, and kind of building out a book of business in that manner. So in today's evolving or now evolved uh, world where lead generation, I think we can get to uh, the group you're with right now because you guys do lead generation, but the... The, the evolving relationship between that individual agent, whether it's captive or, or independent, and the lead generation and the level of support that's generally in place 
for an organization, what, what, uh, what advice, and you can go however quick, brief, or long you want to give for a manager, for someone who's a territory manager, who's got 50 agents, um, or someone who's doing sort of a territory training and supporting those, what recommendations would you give to, to them? What's the sound bite for them to do as, as much as possible without your experience? You know, like certainly they can come to you, right? Or someone like you and accelerate the rate at which the team could improve. But is there anything that you haven't touched on that you do, or we have that you just want to restate for them saying, hey, please just do this? Yeah, for sure. You know, one of the the biggest things and the biggest reasons why people leave the industry is because of uh, lack of training or they they were in a position where they, they just don't trust their manager because they, they're so used to having to do all of the work and they're like, okay, I'm providing the lead. The manager is coming in the meeting with me. The manager is supposed to be training me. They're going to run this meeting. And now I now have to split that deal with the manager or the manager may not may, may decide that, Hey, I'm not even going to split the deal with you because I did all the work, you know, and just say, Hey, yeah, I'll just give you uh, you know, artificial credit and say, yes, you closed the deal. So you hit my goal. Um, these are some main reasons why people leave the industry. You know, because they're like, you know, I didn't make any money. I just drove around all day. We did too much door knocking and I didn't even get to talk. Um, you know, I'll never forget one of the, how I almost left the industry because I'll never forget working with this, with this one life insurance company and the manager was supposed to be training me. And we went out and met with my natural market. And one of the things he did was at the end of the meeting, uh, one of my family members was like, okay, so let me think about exactly which policy, you know, I might want. And, you know, let's, let's talk again. The manager's response when this is in a coaching, coaching setting, the manager's response to, to the client was, well, I hope you don't die between that time and now. So I was like, okay, that was abrasive. Like, are we doing what's right for the client or are we just trying to close deals and hit targets? The most important thing that you have to do as a, an effective manager out here is provide knowledge to your, your actual agent. Make sure that they have the knowledge that they need to be successful. Let them control some of those conversations a little more. You know, do like one, maybe, maybe three, one to three coaching sections where they're able to see you exactly kind of do the calls, do the script and all of that and have that conversation and then kind of let them take over and actually coach them, you know, let them know, Hey, what they could have done better because, you know, they, they need to see that they need to actually be doing it, doing the work in the field and not feel like they're being taken advantage of. You know, and, and like no one's actually training me because you hear that all the time. It's that, yeah, the training was terrible and the manager took out my money. Now, a lot of times it's not really what it is, but that's the perception <laughs> because, the you know, because of who, who their manager may be. That one manager can change the perception that someone has of an entire company. 
And from a carrier perspective, that's something they struggle with on the recruiting side is perception, you know, and they're like, okay, how do, how do other agents in the agent community perceive us? And how can we fix that perception? Well, it starts with your managers, <laughs> making sure that they're effectively trained, number one, and that when they're going out and actually, you know, supposed to be coaching these people, they're actually coaching them and then actually teaching them how to provide knowledge as well to the client. Because the number one way to be successful in the insurance industry is to always give away free knowledge, educating your client. That's going to close the deal and doing what's right for the client and not what's right for your commission structure. Those things yeah, are so important. Yeah, it feels like as an outsider, the industry, that because the span of control of regional director to agent is such a large one, and the amount of time that they're naturally able to spend with each individual is not as much as in a pure technology company where the span of the control is like a 20% of the size, you know, one to 50 versus one to eight, right? It's, it's a lot smaller that it should really be about tenure, having someone stay as long as possible, supporting everything about them, perhaps erring on the side of giving that individual contributor a more of the commission than perhaps by definition of the rules of engagement and commission plan, because yeah. there's, much long, there's a bigger long-term benefit uh, to the individual, to the manager, to the brand, to whatever, that a manager just in there that doesn't have the leadership educating them about this is just not going to get. And so someone like you who's seen the maturity and evolution and growth of different businesses clearly has a developed and informed perspective on the right sort of give and take and where you should be spending time. What, what is your, in addition to Giovanni, who we've heard on this podcast, what are your <laughs> other areas of focus? Like right now, what are, what are the things that you're working on that, that people who are listening, whether they're insurance and in insurance or financial planning or insure tech or other types of tech, what should they be cognizant of you and what you're doing so that if something's of interest to them, they can reach out or follow you or get to know you more. Yeah. So I actually had the opportunity um, at my current company to um, lead product development on a new solution that uses data to eliminate bias during the recruiting process. And it is called Diversify. And Diversify is my baby because, number one, uh, within the insurance industry, for I don't know how many years, diversity has been an issue. There are not a lot of – and when I say diversity, I don't just mean black and white. I mean from women being in the industry, from the inclusion standpoint. Uh, there are not a lot of women in the industry. And when they do come into the industry, they're normally ran off by either really bad managers um, or, you know, the, the ability to not have the training that they need to be successful. Um, and then the other thing that Diversify really helps with is it helps to target individuals who do have the licensing that 
you know, you're looking for, whether you want them to be licensed in property and casualty or life and health. Um, we've been able to do that and use those data points all the way down to being able to target. Um, I have one carrier who literally focuses on only recruiting single moms. And I find that one so, so interesting because that's literally what I did, but I did it without data. <laughs> when I had my agency, I had 26 single moms working under my umbrella that I taught the business to. And that was totally unheard of. And it was a really big reason why I was, why I was recognized um, in the Atlanta market as Women of the Year because uh, by the Atlanta Business League because a lot of people had not been so welcoming and in finding innovative ways to approach single mothers and to help them have access to this financial freedom and the flexibility that you truly can have if you have the right training and the right products and solutions to sell. And if you're with the right company, um, you know, I, I love this diversified product because it allows us to really tap into those markets where, you know, there may be a heavy Hispanic market, but if you can't speak Spanish, you're not going to be able to sell to that market. So we can help you identify who those Hispanic agents are, who those, um, who those, uh, you know, the, the, the Indian or, you know, any of those other markets, we can truly, truly target those. If you're looking to target IT professionals and you want them to be diverse, we can do that. Um, so it's not just the insurance industry. Yes, I do have a database with over 600 million people in the database. I'm in the database. You guys are in the database. And I know at least 600 things about each person in that database. I can tell you if that person has given, if they, they enjoy, enjoy playing golf or giving to charities, or if, you know, they literally just like going to go use that visa card everywhere <laughs> or their Amex, you know, I can tell you exactly, you know, what type of mortgage range they have, what type of debt they have. Um, you know, if they have debt, those people are most likely to want to go into a high producing sales role. Because they're like, hey, I need to pay this debt off. What's the best way to do that? Get in a sales role where you can actually control your income. Um, I love, love, love this diversified product. And it's near and dear to my heart. Um, and a lot of my friends in the HR community really, really backed it and stood behind it and gave me a lot of insight on really, truly how to develop this and build it out. So I'm really excited about it. The Diversified Agent and Talent Recruitment Program is what I'm really focused on right now and really, really pushing in the marketplace. And I'm hoping to be able to change the narrative of diversity and inclusion in not just the insurance industry, but in all industries um, by using data to, to help eliminate bias. So that's what I'm working on right now. <laughs> I when you told me about that, I can't remember how many months ago it was, but when I heard about that, I know that we went off on a quick little tangent about other other industries that would see the mm -hmm. same benefit because of uh, sort of the, the moments in the process as it stands today where you can, one, whether it's the system that's parsing resumes or an individual who's reading things, there mm -hmm. is a bias that is introduced through the system or through the, 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 the sort of filterers, uh, re, wherever they are in the organization where they're playing a role and they, they're evaluating, there's bias that they knowingly or unknowingly introduce. And it's a fascinating yeah. opportunity 
to sort of outsource slash sort of move around that bias so that they, that the organization, the individuals are not affected and perhaps afflicted by mm-hmm. that, that bias. And it's, it's fascinating and it does extend beyond insurance, although there's certainly an obvious need as you've seen and, and recognized. So that's yeah. great. Um, that's wonderful. Anything else that you're working on that you want to talk about? Because I know that there's there are other things. Yes. So I'm actually in the process of developing my uh, second podcast. <laughs> um, I do have another podcast that is already out streaming on all platforms, and it is for female entrepreneurs and intrapreneurs. My entrepreneurs are people who have a nine to five job, but they also have a business on the side that they're trying to turn into a long-term thing to be a full-time entrepreneur. So that's my boss circle. It's already out streaming on all platforms, Spotify, Apple music, you name it, iTunes, you can get it there. Um, And now I'm developing one exclusively for the insurance industry called the insurance unicorn, the podcast for buyers and sellers. So on this podcast, I'm so excited about it because I will be giving tips, Um, tips and knowledge to the sellers on things from what lead generation companies are huge out there, what are some of the best carriers and the changes in the industry, and not just carriers for the insurance industry, but things that you can do with your insurance license that you didn't know about. I am one of those people who has truly allowed my insurance license to take me wherever, wherever it can go. I've literally sold every solution on the market um, all the way from B to B to B to C, I've actually insured insurance carriers <laughs> and then done insurance on the consumer side where I've sold it to their consumers as well. Um, but it's, it's not a solution that I haven't done all the way from property and casualty, life and health, from commercial and personal lines uh, to Medicare for the senior market and final expense benefits. I have done it all. So I have a lot of great insight that I can share with my sellers on that end. And then on the buyer's perspective, we are going to be having open conversations and just educating you on things that you should know. Something as simple as how to approach buying life insurance, specifically life insurance. uh, One of the things that I'm going to be talking about is life insurance for children. They always say that it's the hardest thing to sell to someone who doesn't understand it from a consumer perspective, because no one wants to think about, um, you know, the mortality of their child, but kind of teaching the knowledge behind why we do it and why we do it so early. Number one, Number one, the reason why you get life insurance on your child right away within 14 days of them being born uh, is one day, one way that you can do it. You can get it at any age for your child is because you can actually use it as an investment vehicle down the line. There are a lot of different products out there that you can use that way they can be their own bank. So when they graduate from college, you know, if they want to start their own business or if they want to use some of that money to, um, you know, buy their first home or go to college, they can actually tap into their own bank that they created via a life insurance vehicle. You know, things like that. Talking about how important it is to not, on the auto insurance side of the business, not get state required liability limits. Why you should be, why you should not ride around with with your whole life and all of your assets on the trunk uh, or the hood of your car. 
you know, because truly that's what you're doing when you walk around or ride around with no liability insurance, you know, no, uh, you know, not really understanding exactly how your property um, coverage or your bodily injury coverage, how that truly, truly works. I'm going to be bringing on some of my friends um, who are industry leaders. I'll even have some some good, uh, some good, uh, my, some of my friends from a company called Foresters, which is huge. I know a lot of people know exactly who that company is. They provide a lot of research and data. Um, I have one of my good friends who's going to be coming on. He'll probably be on like one of the first, uh, either episode one or two, um, kind of sharing insights and also talking about, you know, the transition of the insurtech industry and how you can excel in that and get in on that market. So we'll be talking about everything insurance for buyers and sellers. So I'm excited. It's my, it's my favorite thing to talk about is insurance. Clearly, I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you've already figured out how excited I am, especially for me being a millennial. That is like not a thing. <laughs> I love, I love the name of the podcast, the insurance. Thank you. Know, I think that's a good one. Um, I've gotten into the sort of appreciation of the naming of products and services. And I think insurance unicorn is great. And clearly, <laughs> clearly that is going to be helpful for buyers and sellers. And clearly that's going to be good lead generation for you. I know. Um, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Awesome. Because, uh, yeah, I, I do love, cons I do a lot of consulting work as well for carriers and for um, agencies, that's something that I have done throughout the years is really helped kind of come in and help you build out your sales processes, um, also help you develop strategy for recruiting as well, um, which is why the Diversify recruitment was such a big deal for me within the company that I'm in because I spent so much time doing coaching and strategy work for insurance agencies and carriers throughout the years, and that's something that they've always struggled with. Was how do we how do we get how do we attract and retain uh, top talent that just so happens to be diverse? And I know that's something that not just the insurance industry, but even the IT industry um, truly struggles with in other industries as well. Um, so feel free to reach out to me. I can be found on LinkedIn, <laughs> Alexis Sierra Holt. Um, also, you know, my website is alexisierra.com. Um, also you have my bosscircle.com and insuranceunicornpodcast.com as well so that you can make sure that you are tuned in, make sure you follow every platform, whether it's Spotify, so that you can always be up to date on what episodes are coming out. So I'm really, really excited about this insurance unicorn podcast. So it's going to be fun. Of course, I'm going to have Doug come on there because, oh my <laughs> gosh, <laughs> I love, love, love. Think it's gonna launch? We're going to launch it in May. So May. Um, I, we don't yeah. have the official date yet, but it's definitely going to be in May that we're launching it. So I'm really excited about it. We've already started recording. So it's all, it's all coming soon and I can't wait. Well, awesome. Tim, Alexis, thank you so much for your day. Giovanni, thank you for hopping in too. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely appreciate now Giovanni is asleep so yeah we did get okay. <laughs> thanks guys naps for everyone naps for everyone <laughs> thank you thanks bye